0: As I mentioned, uh, we are in the second part of a study that deals with 11 byproducts of being begotten again, of being born again. And as I started last week, it's important to recognize that phrase, that begotten again is different than what Jesus talked about in John's Gospel 3:3 when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. Different phrase, same results, a new birth, in which 2 Corinthians tells us that those who are in Christ are a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. Last week, we went through the first five of those byproducts. I'll repeat them for you. The first was an immediate praise of God for his mercy. A living hope versus a dead hope. The third was a reserved, incorruptible inheritance. The fourth was that we were aware and knowing that we were kept by the power of God. And lastly, last week, we looked at a joy through The midst of various trials. This morning, I'd like to move us forward into the last of these 11, and we will pick it up uh, with having to do with um, the passage in which we were reading. I draw your attention to verse 7. For we read in verse 7 that Peter, writing to those who would read this letter all throughout the churches of Asia Minor, uh, the Jews that were dispersed, Gentiles that were dispersed as well, would read this letter because Peter was accepted as an authority of the church in his day. And as he spoke to each and every one through this letter about being born again, about having a second birth, He said to them in verse 7 that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it be tested by fire may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A sixth byproduct of being begotten again is a precious and tested, genuine faith. Understand this, that your faith and mine will be tested by God. The King James Version of the Bible says the trial of your faith. Throughout Old Testament and New Testament, trial, proved, tested, are synonymous to what we're reading here and that God does, in fact, test our faith. What's important to know is that God tests, but Satan tempts. In the book of James, we are told from James, let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. If you're being tempted to do something that draws you away from your relationship with God and the purity of that relationship, you can't blame God because God will never tempt you, but he will test you. And the difference between God's testing and Satan's tempting is simply this. God tests us in order to reveal the good in us, the Christ in us. Satan tempts us in order to reveal or bring out fault and error and condemnation. You may recall, we see this, of course, in the life of Abraham. In Genesis 22, we know that it came to pass that after these things, God tested Abraham called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham said, here am I. And then the Lord said, take now thy son, thine only son whom you love, and offer him on a mount which I will show you. A faith tested. Psalm seven. Nine says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. Are you going through a testing right now? You know, realize this, that unless faith is tested, it can't be genuine. Through the years as we've, Sherry and I have watched loved ones outside of our family, perhaps within our family, choose to do things differently than we know or would believe the Lord would have for them. And one phrase that kind of summarizes when someone is out there walking kind of on their own uh, volition, they've not yielded yet to the almighty power of God is that, well, they're, they're creating a testimony. If there's no test, there's no testimony. And some of us this morning understand that very well. Satan, on the other hand, tempts. Job 31.27, Job said that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. In other words, I've been enticed away from following the Lord. Proverbs 22.25, lest you learn his ways, God's adversary's ways, and set a snare for your soul. You recall, of course, the, the beautiful record of Jesus being tempted just after his baptism. And one of those temptations, Luke chapter 4, uh, the, Satan brought Jesus up onto a high pinnacle and showed him the entire earth and said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. Now what has always struck me as interesting, perhaps it strikes you, is that Jesus didn't say to Satan at that moment, those aren't yours to give me. What Jesus did say, Luke 4, 12, he answered him and said, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You see, this world is under a, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with power and principalities in the high and dark places. There is a certain amount of, uh, of authority that Satan has been given, and he can't exercise that over and above what God has allowed him to do. Man, have you followed some of the news of what's happened in Turkey? Thousands upon thousands dead. Um, Sherry was telling me that she read that the plate shifted nine feet. And Jesus said of, of in The last days you will hear of earthquakes and wars. I mean, they can't remember when there's ever been a record of a plate shifting that big. and, And the consequence, multiple deaths. This earth is not under the control of our God and our Savior yet. A day is coming when he will reign on this earth for a thousand years. And we wait and long for that day. We read in the scriptures, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, in that he created this. But there is an adversary of God at work, as some of us know too well. And what we do understand is that, as I said, if a faith has not been tested, it is yet to be genuine. Proverbs 17.3, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Many of you probably have read or seen when a, a goldsmith will take raw ore and put it in an oven and turn the heat up to a given temperature, and what will happen is is the gold will begin to melt away from the ore, and what will come to the top is dross. And then the goldsmith will take a cup and he'll go in and he'll scoop off the top the dross and then turn the fire up again to a hotter temperature which allows more purity in the gold and more dross to come to the top and then he scoops again and he turns it up again and again and again until the gold is so pure that he can see his reflection in it and we use that I use that as an illustration to say throughout our life God may turn up the furnace because what he's looking for is the reflection of Jesus Christ in you and in me. Any of you been up to Ironstone, the uh, vineyard up there? Perhaps if you haven't, it's worth the drive. You go past the grounds and into their jewelry shop, and they have all kinds of jewelry for sale. But in the side and on the back, they have this vault, and it's encased. And in it is one of the largest gold nuggets ever found 44-pound crystallized gold nugget found somewhere between 1849 and 1880 when they were dredging for gold and gold would come up on a conveyor belt. It would just, the raw ore would come up on a conveyor belt and then they would sift through that raw ore. Well, lo and behold, one day this big nugget came walking up the, the conveyor belt and the story goes that it was so big that it broke And what they were able to salvage is this 44-pound nugget. Now, gold today is what? uh, $1,865 an ounce. $1,865 an ounce. It comes to about $82,000 if someone wanted to break in and try and take that nugget. But the bottom line is that the nugget, in its condition is intrinsically more valuable than the gold it contains. Your tested faith, your tested genuine faith is more valuable to God than anything temporal. Anything in this world. A seventh byproduct of being born again is a belief that produces inexpressible joy. Look with me to verse 8. We read in verse 8, "...whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing," you might underline that, "...you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory." I do appreciate and love the King James rendering of this. It says, inexpressible is unspeakable. In other words, the actual Greek word means that it's unable to be told out. This joy of mine because of a genuine faith that I possess, though I have not seen Christ with my eyes physically, I believe produces this joy that I can I can't say it in words. I stumble even now. It's unable to be expressed in the words that we know uh, to be expressive in our language. But this joy is able to be expressed in attitude, in service, and in the gift of speaking in tongues we are told in the book of 1 Corinthians that there are nine gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 8-10, Paul names the nine spiritual gifts available for the believer today. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirit, speaking in tongues or tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches have often brought an illegitimate focus on this gift called tongues. And he at times have even attributed to it that you have to be able to speak in tongues to be saved. And the Bible doesn't teach that. But the Bible does teach that speaking in tongues is one of the nine spiritual gifts. And what happens when someone speaks in tongues or the Spirit of God gives them that gift? Well, we do know that in the book of Acts, in the second chapter, when the upper room was filled and the hundred and twenty were there and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And as they filed out into the street, Acts 2.11 There were Cretans, Arabs, Parmeniathans. There were many different cultures there. And the record in the second chapter of Acts is, and we heard them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And that's what speaking in tongues is. It's speaking the wonderful works of God. It's speaking to God in a language that that is ununderstandable, inexpressible, unable to put out. I love what Paul says in uh, his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Just one of the gifts, but certainly applies here to a belief that produces an inexpressible, unspeakable in our language, joy. Visible in attitude, service, and in the gift of speaking in tongues. It is interesting to me that you think of what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in Daniel chapter 3. I, I'm sure they have this joy. You say, well, how so, Pastor? Art? Well, you remember they were placed in the fire, three of them. And the fire was turned up to an intensity and they looked and they, well, Nebuchadnezzar saw, as it were, a fourth one in the fire, Christ with them, a, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And those three guys didn't come out until they were commanded to. They must have had an inexpressible joy. some of you may be coming to the place in the testing of your faith that you're like ready to say like those three, Lord, just keep me in the fire so that I know your joy. And you say, are you crazy? I don't want to, you know, who would ever say that? But if it is that closeness of a relationship with a resurrected Savior, why wouldn't each one of us make that our plea? Lord, whatever it takes, keep me in the fire so that I remain close and have the inexpressible joy. A precious and tested genuine faith, a belief that produces an inexpressible joy, the eighth byproduct this morning is... The salvation of your soul. Verse 9, it says, Receiving the end of your faith. The salvation of your soul. Byproduct of being born again, the saving of the soul. Byproduct of being begotten again, the saving of the soul. Now, we do understand, collectively, I think, that The soul is what is saved when Christ saves us. Our bodies are going to perish. Uh, We're here for a short time. This flesh and blood will eventually, like an old tent, it will wear out. And some of of us this morning can see the seams starting to go. Some of us can see rips in the, the canvas because we live in a tent, this physical body, but what is saved to eternity is our soul. One commentator puts the soul as the, the mind, the will, and the emotion. Our minds, our thinking abilities, our will, volition, and our emotions and if you think about that, that comprises a lot of who we are, what I think, what I choose to do, and how life affects me and how I respond to it. And that is a comprise of who we are. And, and our soul is saved. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5:23, he says, May your whole body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Body, soul, spirit. You and I are an inferior trinity. But God is a superior trinity. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. Guess where we connect with God? It is in our spirit. And our soul recognizes that there's a relationship, body, soul, spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our spirit is quickened. It is made awakened again at the moment that we are born again and we are recognizing in our soul that there's a relationship with the true and living God. And so we have this blessed promise of an eighth byproduct of the salvation of our soul. Are you saved this morning some of you watching at home are you saved do you know that if you died today that you are going to heaven you can invite christ into your life at any moment you can ask him to forgive you of your sin think of that thief on the cross chris brought it out so clearly a couple weeks ago when he taught on wednesday night that that guy on that cross was a thief What he was there for, he deserved. And yet, in a moment, he recognized Christ as the Messiah. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's that recognition, beloved. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And yet, Everyone is given the opportunity to proclaim Christ as Lord. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Salvation of our soul. What a byproduct of being born again. A ninth byproduct this morning as we're moving forward comes to us in verses 10 and 11 and has to do with a glory that follows suffering. Read it with me. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. A promised byproduct of being begotten again, of being born again, are glories that will follow sufferings. We are told in many passages that it is... uh, our lot in life, once we come to Christ by faith, that likened unto him, we shall suffer as he suffered. Oh, I don't mean physically pinned to a cross, although that did happen. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down. Throughout church history, there have been those that have actually been put on a cross. But the the crucifixion of Christ is, is meant for only the Son of God. The sufferings of Christ are intended and a part of everyone of his body. Every believer. I love what one commentator brings out about these prophets, right? It says that the prophets have inquired searching carefully. The prophets saw in the scriptures, uh, Psalm 2, Remember what Psalm 2 says? Psalm 2 says, Let me get there, I'll read it for us. Psalm 2 Why do the nations rage? The people plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the end of the earth for your possession. They could read in many of those Old Testament scriptures about a Messiah. Isaiah 53, familiar with that one? We me find it here. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was talking, writing, speaking about the Christ that would come. And prophets would read this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we did, as it were, hide our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. But surely he was born, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. They would read this, and they knew they were speaking. Isaiah was speaking of a a Messiah to come. And so they searched carefully and diligently Prophets who were alive in Christ's time. They heard of the transfiguration on the mountain. They perhaps listened to his dissertation on the Mount of Olives. And perhaps they even saw as his blood ran down the cross. But what they didn't see is a valley between them and ourselves of 2,000 years. What they couldn't understand is that God had set forth a plan in which those who would come by faith to Christ would indeed enter into the sufferings of Christ as well. And as God's plan unfolds, glory always follows suffering. That's what the resurrection was about. Glory always follows suffering. It's a byproduct of being born again, a, a glory that follows your suffering. Tenth this morning, we'll bring Winder down. A tenth byproduct comes to us in verse 12, the first part, a received gospel message. Notice verse 12. It says, to them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering. The things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Beautiful byproduct of being born again is that the gospel message was received. I heard it, I believed it, and I'm now living by it. The gospel of Christ. Do you know where the gospel is in your Bible? Do you know where the message of the gospel is in your Bible? You and I and every believer should. For it's, it's replete throughout the New Testament. We often say, okay, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. Yes, those are called the Gospels. But where centrally is the Gospel message? It's woven throughout all of that, throughout all of the New Testament, various places where the message of Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who took upon himself the penalty of sin for all mankind, was crucified, buried, and resurrected the third day, that all who believe in them should not perish, but have everlasting life. We received the gospel message. What a blessed byproduct of being born again. And this last one this morning, we'll bring her to an end, how are we doing. I love this one of the 11th byproduct also in verse 12 the last part of verse 12 an angelic curiosity about you notice it says the the gospel preached to you by the holy spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into have you ever read that Do you, Underline that, you come across that before in your reading of First Peter. I mean, this one always captivates me when I come to it because of what it means. What does it mean? Well, it means that there are angels, A. B, there are angels that can't quite figure out they're looking into it. They desire to understand it. Why God chose to save mankind instead of them. Because some of them lost their first estate. Jude, verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. In the second letter that Peter writes, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 9, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness. So you see, there are angels that are still worshiping the Savior, worshiping God. They're ministering spirits sent to us. Sometimes you you may have stumbled across one. <coughs> Excuse me. And you said, well. He or she didn't have wings and a halo over their head. No. But has someone at any time in your life just miraculously, almost instantaneously appeared to help you or to assist you? You see, the Bible says that they are angels, that they are ministering spirits to minister to those who will receive salvation. So we got those angels that are like, Father, I don't don't understand what's so special about that human flesh down there. Those guys are always going sideways. They don't ever really walk with you. They're always coming back. and They desire to look into these things because they can't quite understand it. Because the ones that are worshiping God know that in eternity past, a third of those angels were cast out and reserved for a judgment. We know them to be demonic spirits, and they serve God's adversary, Satan, alone. And they desire to look into this because they can't figure it out either. What does that say to you and me? It says to you and me that you are special to God, you are a human being created in God's image with a body, a soul, and a spirit that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have placed His same reflection in your very comprise. And because you are special to God, you are special to God, you are special to God, He wants only one thing for your life, and that is for you to believe in His Son, to receive His saving grace, and choose to walk with Him all the days of your life. That's what he wants. That's why we've been created for one purpose and one purpose alone. Oh, if we had a penny for every time a man, woman, or young person starts to wonder, why am I here on earth? That's the question that always comes. It comes somewhere in between. Typically, uh, Barnapol tells us that Those in between the age of 6 or 7 and 18 always come to that question, why am I here on earth? Answer, because God created you. If you come to the fact that God created me, well then why did you create me, God? So that you would love me, serve me, and know my son, Jesus Christ. Is that you this morning? Do you know him and love him? Serving his son, Jesus Christ. Are the byproducts existing in your life? Did you come to faith? Are you begotten again? Has there been a second birth? There should be a time in your life. I mentioned it last week. I mean, not everyone, you know, knows the day, the hour. Some do. Many that I talked to over the years in pastoral ministry, I've met many that just say, well, I just always kind of loved Jesus, or I always kind of went to church. I always just kind of knew God existed. Yes, 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 okay. But at what moment was there surrender in your life? where you can point to it and say, I was begotten again. If so, these byproducts are yours and mine. An immediate praise of God, I'll go over them again and we'll close. A living hope, a reserved inheritance, knowing I'm kept by God, a joy in various trials, a precious and tested genuine faith, a belief that produces inexpressible joy, the salvation of your soul, a glory that follows your sufferings, a gospel message that's been received and an angelic angelic curiosity about you and me. I think those are great byproducts. I trust that they are your byproducts today as well. If they are not, you can simply say, Lord, I, I see these. Someone may be saying, Lord, I'm kind of seeing some of that for the first time. And you can, by the Spirit, just say, Lord, I want that. I want that joy. I want to know that inheritance. I want to be able to, without question, know my soul is saved. And I want to exalt in the fact that even angels are curious about what you're doing in my life. If that's you, you can just pray as we close this morning. So we close with how great is our God. Will you join me in a closing word of prayer? Worship team, will you come? I'll lead us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We're amazed at how great your love for us is, how great your patience with us is, how great your work in our midst is. Lord, this morning we simply are full of gratitude and joy of who you are. And what you want in our lives and this morning Lord I pray for anyone that may not yet know you and as the offer is made present Lord that that one if there's anyone here within my voice that has said, yet to say to Jesus Lord forgive me of my sin and come into my life You can do that right now. And while we're waiting, Lord, while we're waiting for your imminent return, oh God, we want you to come today. But in case you choose not to, we will continue to declare how great you are because you are great. We love you, Lord. We worship you. And we want the world to know you. In Jesus' name.
1: How great is our God Sing with me How great is our no. Oh. above all names. You're the name of all.
0: this week, that you'd be able to look and see every byproduct of being born again in your life, that He would watch over you, grant you a special grace and strength, fill you with His Spirit, and cause you to know how greatly you are loved. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.